This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be speaking with leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guests this week are Hunter and Meredith Ellis, the husband and wife team behind the James network of showrooms. Hunter and Meredith make for an intriguing pair. Before starting James, she was a designer, he was a news anchor and Navy pilot. Together, they've created a fast-growing showroom business with locations in Austin, Dallas, Houston, and soon, New York. I spoke with Meredith and Hunter about what the design industry can learn from the military, why there's still white space in the fabric business, and why the two of them want to bring a touch of Texas hospitality to the Big Apple. This podcast is sponsored by Laloy, maker of rugs, pillows, and wall art for the thoughtfully layered home. If you're headed to High Point this fall, stop by the Laloy showroom to see new introductions from Amber Lewis, Carrier and Company, and other collaborators, as well as thousands of one-of-a-kind pieces. And don't just stop by, stay a while, because Laloy is also hosting a handful of events at High Point Market with their collaboration partners, which you can read more about and make an appointment at laloyrugs.com slash highpoint. This podcast is also brought to you by Hector Finch, the UK's premier lighting brand, renowned for its timeless designs, immaculate quality fixtures, and unparalleled customer service. Hector Finch prides itself on working with European artisans who fabricate glass, alabaster, and ceramics, which are married to the highest quality metalwork made and finished in their factory in rural England. The Hector Finch collection is a rich resource for interior designers worldwide, from kitchens to bathrooms and outdoors. Visit HectorFinch.com to learn more. And now, on with the show. We've got two guests, and I want to I want to share both of your backgrounds. They're they're very different backgrounds, and so I'm I'm keen to to share that. But uh, but both of you are are involved in the in the running of this operation. But Meredith, I feel like really you were the one driving all of this initially. So so let's talk about you and your design career and and all the many things that you've uh, that you've done up until now. Well, we have to go back um, very far back because my mother was an interior designer. And so I was raised around design. Um, and from the age of 10, I was going to meetings with my mother, um, following her into antique stores and to showrooms, design centers around the country. It took a little bit longer for me to come to the realization that this was what I was supposed to be doing as an adult. Um, I dabbled a little bit in set decoration, but then when I moved to New York City in 1998, a friend told me that Bunny Williams was looking for a shopper. And so I thought, well, I can do that. Uh, And so (laughs) I can shop. I can shop, Um, sure. So I uh, started my career, professional design career, at I think I was 22 with Bunny Williams in 98, and I worked with her for about five years, working my way up from a shopper to a coordinator. Um, And then in 2002, 2003, 
started to sort of reevaluate what I wanted, um, what else I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, I knew I loved design, but I, I had been visiting a friend out on the West Coast for the past year who it was a really close friend who had moved. And I thought I would give LA a try. So I moved to LA and I started looking at interior designers and I spoke to several and ended up working for a great designer, Thomas Beaton. Oh, for sure. about, yeah, for about a year yeah. or a year or two. And then I, after I left Thomas Beaton, I started working with Michael Smith. Uh, and so I was a senior designer with Michael Smith for a couple of years. And so in 2005, I, no, sorry, 2007, I left Michael Smith and started my own business. And around that same time, I met Hunter and we were not engaged yet when I went on my own, but we soon thereafter did get engaged and then married. And so I was sort of starting my own business at the time that we were getting married. Okay. And and Hunter, what were you doing at the time? Oh, Dennis, little did I know <laughs> what role I was about to be thrown into. Um, I have a much different path to where we are today than Meredith does. Indeed. Uh, but all those pieces, I think, fit into the right blocks for me. Um, you know, I have a former military background, but I did grow up in, in homes that were highly decorated. I had uh, grandparents who lived in London. We lived in old historic houses on the East Coast. So that was, you know, something I was always familiar with and drawn to. And it's an aesthetic that Meredith really appreciates. So when I met her, um, you know, I was introduced to this whole world of design and, and, and high-end design. And here I was, uh, I had left the military at this point. I'd been working for the History Channel. And the thing I really enjoyed about that is, is when the idea of James first came about because of Meredith, uh, is that I look at it from a different perspective. And I had the military operations and logistics experience. I had that sort of standard operating procedure mindset that I think helps businesses survive. But I also had the storytelling capability from years of working in documentary television. I was also a news anchor um, in, in Austin, Texas, before we actually launched James. Uh, and that helped me get a good read on the community, on Texas as a whole, uh, learning about sales figures, home building, all of that. So I had sort of a built-in research database prior to us actually launching James. And all the time since we had known each other and she'd had this incredible idea, we realized that Texas was the right place and the right time to launch that. Well, well speaking a little bit too about how we came to the idea of James, I had always wanted to have my own space, store. I think most decorators do. They want to be able to express themselves. But upon living in LA, I got to, I knew Peter Dunham. Um, and we oh, go into sure. Hollywood. Hollywood at home and, and sure. Yeah. And so the artisanal textiles really spoke to me. That was something I really loved right. and had known a few of the other vendors when I lived in New York as well. And so when we were thinking about moving back to Texas, I knew that this would be something I would want to pursue. I would want to have my own space. I would want to sell textiles in addition to doing design work. How did we get from L.A. to Austin? What, what brought us to Austin? Well, it was 2009. I was originally from Texas, though it had been 18 years since I'd lived in Texas. Right. Um, but one of the things we thought about was moving back to Texas. I had a built-in network. My mother was an interior designer. She had clients. She knew all the vendors, the craftsmen, things like that. Plus, we started looking at different parts of the country, but that made the most sense because of family and mm -hmm. what we knew. 
And so when we decided to move back to Texas, we considered different places in Texas, Dallas, Houston, but Austin was the closest to the Texas Hill Country, which is where I'm from. And I thought, you know, I had gone through flight training in Texas early on in the Navy. It's a, you know, South Texas, great place to fly. If anything goes wrong, you're just going to land on a ranch somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> nothing out there. But I had spent about two and a half, three years in Texas, so I was familiar, and I thought I was done with my August in Texas. But uh, little did I know that I had a whole future in, in Texas. <laughs> what is it about that bug that so many designers just can't resist? having a shop or wanting to go because the reality is that it's a really challenging business and if you pull them aside at a cocktail party they'll say oh my god i'm losing money hand over fist the whole thing is i'm exhausted all the time uh and and so it turns out it's it's a lot harder than it looks from the outside but but what is it that made you convinced that you were going to to start a showroom, a store, a something. I think that there's that sort of romantic idea of getting to do whatever you want. You put your your voice, your expression into that space. I, I love to try things. Right. Um, you know, like every almost every other decorator, I was rearranging my room every weekend with my brother and my dad, moving furniture. <laughs> um, and so it's just that that like you just need to always be doing something moving things shifting things trying things and so i think there's just that itch you have to scratch um being able to sort of put those things together for someone else to come into a space and be excited about and inspired about and want to take something home that's just something i think is sort of ingrained in a lot of designers it's just what we naturally want to do and we, we get to pick and design that as opposed to working with the clients right space so a host of different reasons behind why you wanted to to do this and you start to really get serious about an austin space it, it, it wasn't sort of a there, there really isn't a design center per, per se right so it you have to you have to create your own space for people to to come to yes Yes. Yes, for sure. And, and even before this, though, like she always had this idea, but it never had a name. And I always said, you need to have a name for this incredible idea because then it allows you to connect with it. It, it, right. it has a name. It has, you know, it has a, a physical thing that you can look at that this is my idea. And and it literally, she bolted upright in bed three o'clock in the morning one night. She's like, I got it. And I was like, <laughs> what? What what just happened? Uh, she's James. It's like who? What? What? And she's like the showroom, the store. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. All right, can I go back to bed now? And, and but that was <laughs> and, the idea. And what was that? Who was James? What what was it about? It's a family name on Meredith's side. It's her right. father. It's her brother. It's her nephew. We had always said if we had a third child that we boy or girl we would name the child james. boy or Literally, girl they would be james child you know um, that we were taking care of. Uh, but but that's the evolution of the name and 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 then at the minute you name it it became real and right. and it was literally like the next day that we started moving towards it. So you you reached out to some people and said, listen, I'm in Austin. I want to I want to carry your line. And and is that really how it began? Yeah, I mean, I went. You know, I, I sort of started this 2011. Hmm. Um, and so when we really got serious, I started emailing all of the textile designers that I really loved and I was using in my design business um, and sort of gave them my pitch. And we started with, I think, five or six textile lines that were not represented in Texas. 
because that became a big, you know, realization of who had between 2011 and 2014 had gone somewhere. And Farrick Mason was one of our first. Yeah. She had worked with Brian Farrick at Michael oh, Smith's okay. office. I knew Alex Mason, and, and they were one of the first to come on board with us in yeah. Texas. Tulu Textiles was early on, Catherine Ireland. So we had some really amazing lines, but only about five or six. And then we had a small little bungalow of about 14,000 square feet that we decked out and designed and decorated and had antiques and vintage pieces. And then these six lines, which now I think we have 30 something. Yeah. And then, you know, I was willing to step aside from what I was doing in the television world, knowing all the growth that was happening in Texas and put the faith in this idea to build something together, knowing that I could bring my operations and logistics background from the military and some of the storytelling that I was doing in the documentary television world and the morning news anchor world to actually give this entity a voice and give it some character. And Hunter, I'm so glad that you said that, and I and I want to explain in a little bit more detail for people. So you were, uh, you tell me, you were a, a naval aviator, yes? In, in yes, I flew F-18s for the Navy for 10 and a half years. I grew up around it. My dad was a Navy fighter pilot. My grandfather was a Navy fighter pilot. Right. So it was kind of the family business. So tell me about that. Tell me how you, you brought your training and knowledge to this business. For me, it was there were two elements that were very important, and it was team building and standardization. Hmm. Standardization in the military is what kept us alive. We all had the same operating procedures, and if you deviated from those operating procedures, a lot of times we would say the emergency manual was written in blood because you know something bad happened if you deviated from that. But when you have a standard operating procedure, everyone can recognize when something deviates from that which minimizes the mistakes. And then having a, a cohesive team, a team that gels, a team that's battle-hardened, that can handle the pressure moments, that was the other element. So like hiring is one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle for us at James. Um, we're always looking for people who are not only passionate about the collection that we represent, but also very good with the clients, very good under pressure, uh, and, and, and we bring them systems that can minimize their task load, which allow them to basically do more with minimal keystrokes. That is everything that, I, that we try to, to, to work on for them. And we have been lucky that we've had an amazing team built that have been with us throughout the, the different iterations of Austin, Dallas, Houston, and now New York. Right. Okay. So, so is there is there a boot camp, Hunter, that you put people through, or how? I no, mean, I mean, are I people think, allowed to ring the bell if they can't take it anymore? There is a bell or, I mean, you how, never quit. You never quit. Never that... ring the bell. Um, you know, I could say that probably the first boot camp we initiated was, uh, you know, when we when we hired Justine in New York. Okay. It was very important that we brought her down to Texas and that mm. she experienced Texas and the Dallas showroom and worked with our team there because we want to have that kind of Texas hospitality, that sort of interaction in New York. Uh, so it's important again, that New York feels like they're very much a part of the Dallas and Houston showrooms and Dallas and Houston feel connected to New York. I think it's so interesting, this notion of trying to perhaps bring 
Texas hospitality to New York. So part of the reason, and I sh- we should explain for listeners, so part of the reason that we're talking at this very moment is that you are about to open in, in New York. So literally in a couple of weeks, right, will be the grand unveiling in, in New York City. And I want to I want to talk about how we how we got there, but but quickly we go from from Austin and and you tell me and Meredith you were just saying really by the time it all came together what it was about 2015 when when Austin right came we together did 2015 yes yeah and then on the heels of the success that you were just referencing earlier suddenly you're in Dallas in 2017 and Houston in 2019 right right with another expansion in Dallas. Okay. And so 2000, then 2020, we all know what happened then. And then, um, and then last year and 2022, this, the fall, we started really seriously talking about expanding again, which was not really something on our radar immediately. We thought there would always be a day we would probably branch out again, but we, it was important to us to make Texas very solid. So you ride this incredible wave of growth in Texas. Right. I mean, as we've talked about in the past, I don't talk to anybody in this business now who doesn't tell me that Dallas has suddenly become their second market or, or you know, one of the one of the biggest mar- and and a market that candidly, many of them will tell you they weren't super focused on just a few years earlier. But boy, have they gotten the message that they're awfully focused on it now. And and I wonder, does New York feel as vibrant and as strong, I mean, I mean, in, in your minds. Well, I think just jumping back really quickly to Texas, I think yes. we all knew how great Texas was, how big it was, how much decorating was happening there, what a, what a market it was. Right. You know, we were, I had people in Connecticut saying, I, you know, I fly down here just to shop James because you have all my favorites. I really? Love really? So they would come from Connecticut down to Texas rather than go into New York City. I'm well, I wouldn't, baffled. I wouldn't say rather, but I mean, they would they would be coming for their kids going to SMU or whatever. Okay. They're coming from, okay. um, but also saying they did love coming into James because of our collection. And so we were starting to hear some, you know, we, we wish you were in New York or we wish we had something like this. And so that was just, you know, thank you very much. That's so flattering. Yeah. I like to say is, you know, I, we have the best job in the world. We get to shop and we're constantly <laughs> see beautiful things. And so I wanted the experience to be pleasurable and fun and, and inspirational. So I remember those days being 10 and going with my mom and just like bored to tears of going through these showrooms that were yeah. not interesting. So to me, it's just about thinking about how designers shop and what they want to see. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind you about Hector Finch. This fall, Hector Finch will be opening a flagship showroom in London's Chelsea Harbour and will celebrate the launch of their 15th collaboration with Benjamin Peterson in West Palm Beach. Along with a substantial presence in the Kipps Bay Dallas showhouse and their recent move to R. Hughes in Atlanta, Hector Finch is poised to continue growing their footprint in the global marketplace. Learn more at HectorFinch.com. And now, back to the show. What is it that you, as a designer, 
were thinking, oh, when I have my showroom, here's here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to show it, or here's how we're going to make it accessible. I mean, tell me some of your thoughts about that, because I think that is so important. And I was having this very conversation at the D&D building yesterday with a, with a showroom that is struggling a little bit with how New Yorkers who want to move pretty quickly and want to get in and get out, and they don't have a lot of time. And they, so... Tell me how you were thinking about it from, from a designer's point of view. Well, the way the showroom set up, it's about discovery. It's about meandering through and learning about something else. Um, we do brand identity. It's very important that each of the, the designers in the showroom, each textile designer has a sign, is identifiable, that you see what they have. And we use a lot of their textiles for sofas, upholstery, drapery, whatever, through the showroom so you can see how it's used. But we always say that it's important for that brand identity because what brings you in, whether it's you come in because you are shopping for Sister Parish, you might discover Mahala, who's brand new to the United States. Right. So it's important that we have that identity of each of, the, of those um, vendors. And those vendors have their own identities, right. but they work very well right. with one another. So you, you, you could pair a Sister Parish fabric with a beautiful Mahala fabric from the UK. It, and it, it works. And I think that's the, the, the path of discovery that Meredith is describing. And we wanted describing. It to feel comfortable that that the designers could come in if they want to bring their clients, that it's comfortable. They sit down. I, I love when I see designers come in and they're with their clients and they pull out the plans and they're working together and they're pulling the wallpapers and the fabrics and looking at the lighting, that they're really working in the showroom and, and, and utilizing it. That's always makes me really happy. And you wanted to, if I understand you correctly, to have an element of, there are also some things that you can come and take yeah. with, right? And there's lampshades and, and lighting. And too. Yeah, designers are constantly needing to accessorize. Um, so if they're in there looking at fabrics, oh, I need lamps, I need lampshades, pillows, a throw, what can I, or accessories, what can I take to finish this project? I'm going over there for a meeting this afternoon. Putting something in front of your client, you're gonna right. sell it so much faster than a picture. So if they can walk away with something at the same time they're shopping for those schemes, I think it's definitely, you're, you know, you're doing a lot at one moment. And because everybody is in a hurry, it's, your ability to find those things you need for your meetings is important. And on that yeah. note, Mary is really great about it. It's a challenge for us in the showroom because she's really great at going out and finding unique pieces that work with our collections. And she'll find an antique piece or a vintage art piece and have it framed a different way. Uh, and so she adds those elements into the showroom. So there's a mix, there's a collected feel, um, which resonates again with our clients. Now, from an inventory standpoint, that's always difficult. It was like, what, where did this come from? Where did Mary <laughs> <laughs> it almost gets in faster than we, you know, that we can keep up with it. And and I wonder about that too. I mean, we're joking, but not joking. So often, it's challenging when you have an e-commerce site or you have a website. What you can show versus what might actually be on the floor, right, in any given time right. in any, any of your spaces. So I, I assume that that is a real challenge. Right. Well, you know, I think there's this real discussion going on right now about e-commerce or you know physical showroom you know brick and mortar locations yes. and and to me it's not one or the other to me these things work hand in hand and you need to be good at both but also it's about getting the information out to the designers right. and they may not necessarily be able to come in nine to five so you have to make that information accessible to them either before or after hours
So many designers come to us and they say, oh, why can't there be just some pricing online so that I can at least know how much this sofa roughly is going to be or, 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 or whatever. And then the whole issue, some companies are better about giving you inventory levels, letting you know we've got 30 yards in stock of this. So if you want it, you better put a reserve on it right away. I mean, so how do you, how do you approach it? How do you think about it? What do people tell you they want? Well, if you have 30 lines, usually there's 30 different ways of doing things. So you're trying to compile all of this together into a sort of a manageable format. So there, um, you know, we've decided that we got to focus on the key elements, which is going to be pricing, how it's sold, you know, not necessarily letting them know that this stock is available. That's still one of the things they need to check with us because obviously we can't do that. You know, systems are evolving and I think eventually a lot of places will be able to get there and some of the lines have that available so that we can get real-time information, which is very valuable um, because it can speed up that that transaction. Um, But again, it's about getting the key information out there. And I always struggle with this because the website is something I'm never pleased with. I'm, you know, I'm looking to get more information all the collections on there. Obviously, when you have a huge furniture collection with lots of variables, um, you can only show so many things, but we're working on ways to integrate that into our platform now. The textiles and the wallpapers we we have down. Um, The lighting we've gotten down and the furniture collections, which we're now starting to add more of, um, we're gonna be integrating more of those as well. So again, you you sort of have to pick your battles and I I find that pricing and how it's sold are are two key things that designers really need to, to understand. Yeah. And do designers tell you that, so there was this debate going on about whether fabric companies should just put their pricing up on their websites and it's only available to the trade. And so who cares? There it is. There's the price. Where do you land with that? Because you've, you've got some people that are coming in, right? Just off the, off the street, I'm assuming. I mean, we always say, I think 99% of our sales are to the trade. You know, sure. But she wanted it to be an inviting place for all yeah. design enthusiasts right. to come in. To see Absolutely. it. And we don't sure. necessarily sell everything to, to, to somebody. And some but, of the lines do have retail pricing that, yeah. that, that is online and, and presented. Uh, others don't. And there's vintage finds that she has that we have retail pricing yeah. for. So there's, there's a little right. bit of a mix. Yeah, for anything, if you come in the showroom, everything is marked that has a retail pricing. And then the designers do know what their discount is. For the textiles, I'll let you speak to that. But I think from a designer's perspective, it, I think it's a lot about communication. I, I shop with my clients all the time and they know what their markup is going to be. So for me, it's about communication. But I can't anticipate that every designer coming in showroom operates the same way I do. So we right. do, if there's a retail price that has already been set by the line, then I think that's that's open knowledge for them. Well, the, we the, trick, it, the trick is, and you know this, Dennis, is that every designer sort of bills and invoices their clients differently. Their, their, right. you know, their market structure or their payment structure is different. So... Yeah. So again, you know, we honor that and Meredith being a designer, you know, we make sure that the, all the trade accounts are, are vetted and that's not, we're, you know, it's not a barrier. It's not this ivory tower that we're trying to build. It's just that we don't know everybody's, you know, pricing structures and how they work with their clients. Um, so we just make sure that we give them, 
you know, the nuts and bolts of this is the trade price. You know, this is the retail price if it's if it's advertised and it's out there. And we, we find that works. Were there, and I don't want to get too in the weeds about this, but we were just talking about this alliance with FAIR and Shopify uh, that, that just happened. And I talked to so many of the industry who are like, yes, why don't we just have Shopify as the back of house or some some online platform that just seems easier to navigate than many of the custom solutions that all of these poor companies have had to create on their own. And uh, and many of them are quite uh, antiquated at this point and, and in need of an update. So for you, did you have to create a, a, your own custom system or did you? Originally, yes. But then we converted to a Shopify platform because we realized the versatility and, and the- Love that. Okay. The growth of that. And, and you have to be adaptable. That's what, you know, in the military, you know, innovate, adapt, and overcome. You know, you just, you have to continue. Say that again, Hunter. Say that again. <laughs> innovate, adapt, and overcome, Dennis. Yes. This is what I want to be the mantra for the design industry. Well, because it, it is a challenge. It's why I'm drawn to this business. There's so many facets of it. Not only is it beautiful, not only do we like the clients, you know, love the clients, love the vendors and the stories, but there's so many elements that are challenging that it's like pieces to a puzzle, the logistics side of it, the, you know, sort of the mindset of the, the pricing in the, in the trade clientele and doing all that stuff. And to me, it's, it's, it's fascinating to navigate and each little market, you know, each big market, I should say, because now Dallas, Houston and New York presents its own individual sort of personality. I think that you need to cater to. No, no, exactly. And, and I think part of the balancing act, is to not lose the magic and wonder and the stories and the romance behind these small, beautiful artisan lines, but be able to make them available in such a way that we knock down some of the obstacles or the or the roadblocks that sometimes exist and make them as accessible as we as we as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We get presented with, um, you know, uh, collections every day. People come to us, and and it's I'd say it's probably one of the hardest things about. There's this. so many great lines that have approached oh, us and still approach sure. us. That there's just so much, but it's always been our. We have to be true to the lines we already have, and our job is to sell those, um, and spacing, timing, and need. And if there's something that's totally unique to what we um don't already have but works beautifully what we do have then we consider it but um you know it's it's that is the hardest part so so meredith to that point articulate that for us what what is what is the brand the james showroom all about what when when people hear the james showroom what do you want them to think and and imagine i think we have the best if not one of the best collections of artisanal textiles that are patterns, prints, wovens um, in an environment that they are enhanced by showing them all together. And the show is about discovery and inspiration um, and learning, learning about new new vendors and new new creators. And I have such a greater appreciation now for what our vendors have gone through because Meredith launched her own line this summer 
and seeing all of the, the, the hard work and effort that goes into the design and production of each and every textile, wallpaper, furniture, lighting line is phenomenal. So Meredith, let, let's talk about that for a moment since Hunter mentioned your, your own <laughs> line that you launched. So tell me where you saw the white space. Tell me what Nothing's you with, in the world, with all that with, with all the lines that you carry. Tell me what was missing. We've been working on James for almost a decade. And so we only launched this past summer. And I always knew there was going to be a textile line because that's my favorite part. So I always knew that was down the road, but until I found my voice and until I knew what made us different, because it's hard when you have so many beautiful lines. And I've heard yes. so many say, like, do we need more fabric? But there's I've always- I've heard many say it, Meredith, many, yeah. many. Wow. <laughs> um, but, but as a designer, you're constantly looking for something new. You know, right. you want to okay. see new and things change. And so I wanted whatever I created to work with what was yeah. in the showroom, but be yeah. different. So sure. my job as as the owner of the showroom is to, when I'm looking for new lines, it's where is a void? What do we not have? Right. So based on my design aesthetic and where I grew up and a need, and I really wanted to create something that was based on tradition and had sort of an old school vibe, but was updated for today. Right. Okay. Okay. And when you, and when you spoke to friends and colleagues, did, did anyone try to dissuade you from love? Oh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you know how much this costs, right? Yes, exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, and they were right. And the sampling costs, and I mean, oh. right? I mean, I don't need to tell you. You run the uh, show. Well, like you said earlier, that our, we're in for the long haul. I mean, it's important that we're building James a brand. Like, this is something yes. we really wanted to. I've been a designer for 25 plus years. I plan to work forever as long as i can i love right. what i do so it's important that as james as a designer that we're consistently innovating and putting out product and things like that that keep us fresh keep going right i was uh, i was interviewing nina campbell earlier in the week here in in new york and she uh she told me that she just wants to be rolled up uh in some of her own fabric and just carried out of the showroom when she when she finally <laughs> when she finally goes that's how she wants to go out so uh but but she wants to be sure it's her own line so that she gets the commission on that last uh, that last sale yeah exactly just out to sea just out to, out to see, but and I want to talk about the the long term future of of the James operation. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about coming to New York, and and some of the some of the challenges. And I'm always reminded of them. So again, I'm at the D and D building yesterday, right? And I'm I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So I mean, a I'm looking at some of these showrooms and just the just the cost of opening a showroom, right? And I, I won't name names, but David Sutherland in the D&D building is, <laughs> is in, he, he is he is in a space that used to belong to another showroom that, that I wanna say might've spent a million dollars renovating that showroom. And then poof, 
They were gone shortly thereafter, and David Sutherland walked into a very beautiful showroom because another business had gone under because of the amount of money that they spent building out that uh, that showroom. So it's a wildly costly operation, right? And I don't need to tell you. And and I know you're very mindful of of the dollars and cents of it. So tell me how you thought about just that aspect of it alone. Any large brand, and again, we get back to, you know, you want to build a long lasting brand that has a very mm. strong identity. I think having a New York presence is a very important part of that. So it went from from sort of kidding around about it to then having people suggest it, vendors that we brought in that were new to America or, or new to the showroom environment that weren't represented in New York. Then we started to really analyze it and go, okay, can we do this? And we said, yes, we can do this. And, and we have a third to a half of our roster that didn't have representation. We'd had to, you know, we'd had requests from the vendors. We'd have requests from the clients. So now what are the roadblocks to getting this done? And so we set out with a very clear path to let's investigate this. Let's see if we can find a space. Let's see if we can renovate it. And the pieces seem to, you know, fall into place. And you, and you mentioned the million dollar showroom that, that, you know, that kind of went under shortly after they built it. Mm. I mean, early on with James, we, when we were starting back in Austin, all these things started to unfold that made it seem like this is what we're supposed to do. And so I, I came back to Meredith one day, I said, clearly the road to our destruction would not be so clearly laid in front of us. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and it's, you, so you got to have a little faith, but you got to really analyze the numbers and, and, and we're willing to investigate markets and investigate things that continue to be true to our brand, but also expand upon our growth. And, and if we run into roadblocks, we may not do it. But with New York, it was the right place, the right time. We feel that we have the right demand, the right need. We feel there is space to be filled there. The designers are excited about it. Our lines are excited about it. And in terms of the location, I mean, for me, nothing could be better because we're right back in the same building where Meredith was working with Bunny Williams 25 years ago, one floor below. It was a feeling of this is the right move. This is the right place. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind you about Leloy. For almost 20 years, Leloy has made its name not only in home textiles at all price points, but also in customer service. Members of the trade have dedicated Leloy sales representatives to answer their needs, with easy online ordering and fast shipping directly from Leloy's warehouses. Learn more at LeloyRugs.com. That's L-O-L-O-I, Rugs.com. For an inside look at all things Laloy, follow at Laloy Rugs on Instagram and TikTok. And now, back to the show. And just for listeners who might not be familiar, right? So New York has the D&D building, which I think you both would probably agree is is the building that most people think of when they think of this is where all the big fabric houses are, right? right. They're, they're up at the D&D building. And, and then you've got this huge design center in the New York Design Center where people seem to be tripping over themselves these days to come to the New York Design Center. They're, they've gotten a lot of new showrooms and, and new people coming. And that's, that's the other big alternative. But there are also a handful of companies I think of Zach and Fox, for example. I, I think of Studio Four, places that wanted to be on the street, wanted to be outside, and 
and have a different vibe. You know, Zach wanted to be able to control the entrance way, right? And he wanted to, he didn't want to be in a design center for that reason, that he couldn't, he couldn't control what you experience the moment you cross the threshold, for example. Uh, but so those are the options. And I talked to so many of the big fabric companies who say to me, oh, Dennis, I would, you know, I would leave the D&D building tomorrow if I could, but I'm just so nervous that I'm not going to have the same level of traffic or I'm just so nervous that all of those designers who just come and walk the building all day long, as you might have done early on, Meredith, when you were working for Bunny and Bunny, right? I mean, <laughs> they there are people on Bunny's team, right? That are, they're just they're just in the building all day, really. I mean, and and so that's part of figuring out where do you go, and then and then as you say, where where Bunny Williams is located is another is another mixed use space where there are offices and 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 design offerings on hand there as well. So besides being where being close to Bunny. <laughs> What else made made that feel to you like the like the choice? Well, I think it was because we we knew that we could come in and do our James thing. We knew that we could do our events. We could look the way we wanted to. We could it, it, it represented us. Um, I mean, I think the building has a very high end boutique feel. It's to manageable. It. It's seven right. floors. It's got great shops, um, antique shops. Other, you know. Bunny Williams, her design office is there as well as her Bunny Williams Bunny home. Bunny Williams home, yeah. Yeah, and so I think I think we weren't afraid of not going to the D and D because we did Austin and it worked. Right. People came to us, so I think it proves if you are if you're doing what's true to you and what feels right um, and what's right for us, it will work. I mean, we it wouldn't have felt like James if we weren't in a space that we could. And we feel like all those locations serve a very important need. And so, mm. but for us, we got to look to the location that's true to us. And and Meredith and I have always felt it when we've walked into the space, both of us. Um, and, and immediately we walked into that space on the fourth floor of the Interior Arts Building. We knew this was the place where we could, I already you started know, decorating yeah, it. She, she already started <laughs> decorating it. I, I could tell immediately. I, I could see the light bulb over her head. But it just felt like, okay, this is the place that, we can plant our flag in New York. We can be ourselves. We can we can bring our service and our collection. And yes, our lines will be a little bit different in New York than they are in 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 Texas. But again, we are bringing new resources to the design community, uh, and our roster will evolve, and things will change. And a big part of our decision to go to New York also is because we want to continue to bring new things under the Meredith Ellis Textiles product line maybe furniture down the road with Meredith Ellis. James will be offering new product as well. And so again, it was a great time, you know, it's a great time to get into New York post pandemic. And if there's ever a time, I, I felt like now was the time. We felt like now was the time. And and, I, and I've, I've said this to many people, never bet against New York. People are like, oh my gosh, it's not what it was before. I'm like, never bet against New York. And yes, there'll be ebbs and flows, but in the long haul, New York, if, if you're in the design world, New York is a place you want to be. No, no, a a absolutely. And and as you were saying earlier, it's usually the top market for 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 businesses that are nationally represented. Uh, again, with with Dallas quickly becoming the number two for them in so many places, and, and <laughs> fantastic. But you brought up the issue too of so not everybody could come with you from Texas because some of your lines 
are already represented here in New York and right and there's those those darn annoying territorial exclusivity agreements that <laughs> uh, just I don't know sometimes and and we should explain for listeners that yes there are these territorial agreements and uh, depending on the on the area um, but it, many of your lines are, are covered here and uh, and once you open they may they may jump shipped and come to to you in in time right they they might uh and i don't know most people don't seem to lock themselves in for a very specific period of time right so they may have flexibility to to join you uh after you've after you've opened right and 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 they see you yeah i mean our philosophy was we're coming there to do our thing everybody has to do what works for them and this is what works for us and we welcome new lines we welcome the lines who have been with us, but there is no fear on our part about that this is what, you know, is James is going to do. And um, in terms of the exclusivity, uh, we, we are very respectful of that. You know, we have been used to dealing with that for the past 10 years. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, no, and so, I mean, again, the third to half of our lines that didn't have representation were ecstatic that we were coming there. Right. The, the other ones that we, you know, we send everybody, we put out an email before we even announced this and we talked to every line and we said, we're doing this for our reasons. If down the road sometime, I said, you know, we honor where you are now, we're not looking to disrupt. But, you know, in the event, we're down the road, you need something, we're there we have an obligation to represent our lines in the best light possible. And their New York showrooms now are doing a fantastic job, but things, you know, ebb and flow and, and, and sure. they can ebb and flow with us. You know, our goal is to not have them ebb and flow, but it provides another option for lines who are looking to get into the New York market or for lines who feel that where they currently are, the aesthetic doesn't match up with them. So, and, and again, I think that's what helps certain showrooms work is that the aesthetic of the collection lines up with the showroom and that's that's what we've tried very hard to do right yeah no no, no. It, it it all makes sense and i and i didn't i didn't explain for for listeners about territorial exclusivity but just quickly typically when a a line comes into a specific showroom there's a map of of the territory that is clearly outlined and nobody else can represent that line within this particular map that's that's outlined and and most most lines agree to some sort of structure around that what were you going to say hunter and I think, and I think a great, you know, point to this, Dennis, is, you know, you look at Sister Parish, who we've had a great working relationship with for so many right. years. I mean, we love right. Susan Liza Doug, the whole team, and and they had stepped out of the showroom environment a couple years ago, and us coming back in when we talked to Susan, she wanted to be a part of the showroom environment again. She wanted the collection to be viewed by designers and seen with other lines, and so that to me shows the opportunity and sort of the availability of, of us coming in there, it, it does give lines options. And, yeah. and it also it allows us to still do our own thing. No, no, and, I, and I'm so glad you mentioned Sister Parish, not only because of my, my strong feelings for Susan Crater, but also, uh, but, uh, but also because they were very outspoken about the, the territorial issue and they wanted to be where they wanted to be and didn't want... Right. Right. People tell it. And the whole issue with selling online, too, they they have to try and figure that out, which is the, which is the other challenge. And I and I think and and I that's, I think, going to need to be figured out because orders that come in online, 
how how does one figure out the the territorial issues and you're both nodding your heads so well yeah i mean that happens but a lot of times i mean we're open to the discussion with anybody but if our team has been working with a designer and helping them get the pricing and things like that it's an obvious that it goes to whoever's doing that yeah you know i mean everything's but, always if somebody comes in randomly via email submission everything's always referred to the the showroom sure. in the region that represents that but there are there are right. places that are underserved you know you look at the west yeah. and there's a lot um oregon doesn't have a lot of, of direct representation wyoming you know the midwest and there are a lot of emerging designers and really good designers in those areas that come to us because we make it so easy for them. So again, you know that that we will have that continuity from Texas to New York of ease of operations, ease of transactions, uh, a great customer sales team, um, and and just that kind of Texas hospitality in New York, if I, if I can. I'm wondering, Meredith, uh, with regards to your own line, and and maybe you're seeing this showing up more with many of the lines that you represent. Digital printing. When it first came on the market, everybody, oh, nose in the air, no way, the quality is not going to be good enough for this, that, and the other. It seems to have come a long way, and I feel like a lot of lines are using digital printing today, right? And 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 to great success, it seems. I mean, from the very beginning, I did want to do more screen printing, and we are doing a second collection that will be only screen printing. It is more expensive, and the digital has gotten so good. Um, right. I would say out of the because right now we have a mix of both in her in her collection. Um, so sometimes I feel like certain designs need to be screen printed, and so that's where we try to limit the number of colors because once you start doing a, a very complicated design or a lot of colors, it it does get quite pricey, and then that goes on to the designer, and so we have to at some point cap it so that it will sell. Um, so that's when looking to digital, um, and it, it has been successful for us. But sometimes I just there's a difference to me in in a weight or a way it feels. And she so will always have screen prints in her collection, and there will be some right. designs because, you, as you mentioned, digital printing has come so far, and there are some designs yes. that sort of lend themselves to the digital printing process where they're more painterly, or you know, there's there's more of a you know, sort of watercolor effect in certain things that you can capture that you uh, in, in a digital printing style that you couldn't capture in a screen or a block printing style. So again, for her, it's it's all about the mixing the notes and 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 applying the right process to the right design. Listen to you, Hunter, just tossing out painterly like that, right? I mean, <laughs> what? If only my fighter pilot buddies could hear me now. Exactly. I love seeing all that you've become. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> remarkable. I really am, am so impressed, and I, and I love it, and and I love that you found a way to your earlier point about just even trying to reduce the keystrokes and just making this whole process easier. That's what this industry still seems to be crying out for is what can we do to make this even even easier? I mean, these designers, these poor designers, you, you look around a room and there's, you imagine there's 800 purchase orders that go in to putting all of this together, right? And everybody's just trying to keep track of all these orders and what's coming in where, and there's trim, and then there's a base, and then there's the fabric for the cushions, and then there's the fabric. What have you been able to do, Hunter, to, to make some of that easier with just even reducing the, the time it takes? 
I constantly talk to the team. I constantly watch the team and and I'm constantly involved in the in the daily sales process to a certain degree. Yeah, you know, obviously more so at the beginning than I am now. Um, so having my hand in it, I can see the challenges they face. I can see the things that slow them down or that are repetitive. Uh, and I look to remove those roadblocks, like I said earlier, so that they can be more client facing. They can interact with the client and, and the systems are meant to be responsive and mobile. You know, we were in multiple locations you know, early on when we started. So I needed to be able to see what was going on in Houston real time and make, make, make adaptations to the system if, if that happened. Um, and the pandemic really highlighted that. For a lot of firms, you know, in our industry and, and in many other industries, if you didn't have sort of modern responsive systems, you were locked, basically, because if you had a desktop software program, you couldn't access it if you couldn't go into the office or, you know, everything for us, cloud based mobile phones would ring to our computers and, and we could still connect with our clients during a very difficult time. It's a balance of systems and sort of sales team, you know, again, it's that challenge and I love it. It's, it's you know, yeah. I, I listen to my team and say, what slows you down? What can I improve upon to make your job easier? Well, it, 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 there's so much that seems like it can be improved upon, but I'm, but I'm so glad that you've, that you were able to make the, the jump to Shopify. And I'm sure that makes a lot of things easier. I, there's this impression that, that Shopify can't handle an, an industry that is as, uh, complicated perhaps as ours but but you're, you're not finding that to be so well no, there are challenges like on the textile side it's 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 complicated for dye lots you know it's, right. it's there, there's a lot of and there are lines that have started to that we represent that have started to incorporate that into their sites that are shopify mm. or, or shopify 2.0 um or plus i can't always forget what's the highest <laughs> they change everything too fast um but but again those integrations are coming so i you know we want to be on the sort of the forefront of of evolution but keep things true to the industry as a whole yeah meredith so before we go new york feels like uh a, a less decorative market than say texas for example w would you would you agree I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm friends with a lot of New York designers. So, yeah. and what I look at, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that's an accurate saying. No, I think so. I, I ask, I ask in part because we've, we've been talking recently about, so Banana Republic has come out with their own home collection, BR Home. And, uh, and and it's remarkably beige in its uh, in its coloring, uh, as is uh, as is much of RH. Though I'm though I'm told by Gary Friedman that color is coming to RH at any moment. It, wow. it doesn't seem to be appearing yet. And so a lot of a lot of what the general public sees is is all of this is all of this beige, right? right? And and you're all about color and pattern and. And well, joy. Like, yeah, a little bit of my Southern roots. I mean, that's how yeah. I grew up. I mean, it was very much about entertaining and yes. pictures of family and things from travel, mementos, artifacts, things you picked up. So it's very yeah. much about display and presentation and show and having people into your home. That's very much right. how we live. And yeah. so that's how I, I think that I would 
love about James is having things around me. I love walking into people's houses and getting to know a little bit of who they are by what they, they showcase. You know, I've bought things from them, but I think it's what we really want to do is educate and, and, and showcase that color and creativity and individualism in, in design. Right. So you want to you want to be a, a counterbalance to all this beigeness that we're seeing in the world, yes? Yes, and I think it's I think it's. Um, I think contrary to watching the news, the the world is a very bright place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's incredibly exciting that you're coming to New York. So so we're going to tell listeners. So October nineteenth is the official opening, and. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited for you both, and I appreciate you making the time. I know you got a million things going on, so, so thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nicolaus and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.